to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be, like I said, looking at um, the book of Acts. And so the um, name of this, this series is going to be um, A Movement of the Gospel and Kingdom. And so that's what you see in the book of Acts. You see a movement of the gospel, um, and you see a movement of the kingdom of God. Now, in that, we have to think through, what does that look like? What does that mean? Because um, the gospel is just that, that message uh, of Christ, his life, his, his teachings, his perfect righteousness, perfect holiness, never sinning, because that's important. That's that righteousness that is um, deposited towards us, that is imputed towards us, that all of heaven, when we're enjoying heaven, and it's so nice, and there's no one crying, and there's no car wrecks, and there's no sin, that's the righteousness of Christ. The beauty of heaven is not going to be, we finally all made it right, and we got better, and we're just now just gooder people. No, that's the righteousness of Christ that we're going to be living out. And so he lived that life, his life, his teaching, the way he treated people, then his death, and then his resurrection, and then now he ascended, and so there, there's that gospel message. And so that's going forward, and that was weird. That's going forward in a world that had false religions that said, work yourselves to death to try to earn your way to this deity. Do these sacrifices and do these rituals and do these um, things in your life to earn your way to this deity or to this different God. And here comes um, this message, this new message by a small number of people saying, salvation is found only in the name of Jesus. And here's the gospel story. And then they started preaching that and teaching that. And they were rejected. It was foolishness. Think, think through how foolish it is in our day. And so we have to, in our day, just go, just embrace that. Uh, many times when I'm talking with either people from where I, where I came from or it, just people in kind of a secular uh, place, and they, they'll kind of be astounded that, oh, you really, really believe those things. And I'll just admit and say, man, I know it sounds like foolishness. I'm okay with saying that. I know it sounds like foolishness, but, but this, this Jesus completely changed my life. And I'd love to tell you about that. I know it sounds like foolishness, but, but I really do believe that this guy rose from the dead and that he ascended to heaven, that he's, um, he's going to come back for us. Where are you at in that? And so um, the gospel moving forward to what we will see in Acts. And it's also the kingdom of God. And so remember the kingdom of God, um, they had been wanting, all the Jews in that time had been oppressed by all the different um, uh, countries and nations and Babylon, and now the Romans are the powerhouse, and they're, they're using Israel, and, and they're, they're just taking money from them and doing all these things. And so Israel had been expecting from the uh, times of David and Solomon that there would be one that would replace the Davidic kingdom. And so they're waiting for this powerful military militaristic guy to come and bring on his army. And now Jesus has started this powerful little movement and working miracles and signs. And some people are catching on. This seems like some of the Old Testament prophets, what they were prophesying about. But man, he's a peasant. Like he's poor. He's a carpenter. Um, he, he, he does incredible things, incredible teachings, but man, it doesn't seem like he's ready to bring on the army. And so repeatedly, you see in the, in the, the Gospels, his disciples saying, hey, now 
Are you, are you ready to bring forward your kingdom now? If you're the Messiah, aren't you to come? Because we're sick of this. We're sick of being oppressed. We're sick of the Romans. Is restore this powerful kingdom. And so the kingdom is moving forward. And so Jesus comes and John the Baptist went before him saying, the kingdom is near. So live a life continually producing fruit by repentance. You understand your sins need to be forgiven. There needs to be re- repentance and following the holiness of God. So there was that understanding with John the Baptist. And then Jesus comes saying, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is here. And w- when he says that, that Jews, you know, the, the, especially the scribes and Pharisees were like, you don't say, that's blasphemy. Um, and so um, for him to say, and, and I am the one who brings the kingdom. And so making those ties to Moses, making those ties to um, Abraham, making those ties to the Father. And so the kingdom is, is here, and Jesus inaugurated it when he got here, but it's not yet fully And so we have to remember that. So that's why we are trying to live by the Bible in a world that doesn't believe in the Bible. And and, and through the centuries, we have to understand that that was God's desire. We went through the parables, and he said the the weeds and the the tares, um, that there's going to be these weeds that grow up, and I'm going to leave it till harvest time, to the end of the harvest, and and then we're going to separate that. He didn't say, hey, hey, Believers, if you put your faith in me, you get to separate and all, everything will be perfect. All prosperity and health and wealth. And then the, all, the rest of the world, they're going to be just having troubles. Now he said, it's going to be together. And you're going to follow me in the midst of this crazy and crooked generation. Just like he lived. Just like the disciples lived. Just like the apostles. Just like the early church. Just like everyone else has. And so um, the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet fully manifested. That will be once he comes and he glorifies us and judgment comes upon those who are not um, a part of his kingdom. And so um, that's what we're going to be walking through. And I, I pray that this wouldn't, the book of Acts, when we go through this, it's not just a teaching and a sermon and, and that you are just thinking of it as, oh, I wonder what is going to come up in Acts this week. I want us to be thinking through greater understanding through the Spirit and then greater um, desires to, to live in obedience and faithfulness to him. And then that, that leads to greater worship, greater affections for him as we experience him more. And so that, that's what I hope is greater understanding and greater experience, greater joy and worship. Doesn't mean maybe 2023 is going to be a, just a, a shipwreck as far as financially for you. Maybe the economy stays bad. Maybe people that get elected in state and, and, and regional places that, that you don't like but you can still have joy in Christ in the middle of those situations. We're going to face circumstances that we didn't plan on. And so as we go into this, I always like to do a little bit of an intro and an overview the first week, especially in a big, long book like this. And so first of all, you're going to see here, this is going to be going into deep into scriptures. We're going to read a little bit of the first part of Acts, just that first chapter, bringing out some things. And then next week, I'll still, we'll go into verses 1 through 11 next week. But um, I'd like to do an overview for you to get a bigger picture. Um, So first of all, just the author. Um, is Luke. So this is the same author. So when you look at uh, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is Luke, and he wrote his gospel um, narrative, but then he also went on and he wrote the book of Acts afterwards. And so it's a sequel to his gospel. Um, The purpose of Luke, he gives that. So if you look in Acts, let's look there in Acts uh, verse 1, or chapter 1, and he says there, let me get to it. In the first book, O Theophilus, and so he's saying, he's got this rich benefactor, this guy that's become a follower of Christ possibly at this point, and he addressed the book of Luke to him also. 
Um, in the first book, my gospel, the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And this wind. Uh, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So right there he's saying, I, I wrote that first gospel on what Jesus began to do and teach. So the book of Acts is what he continued to do and teach through the Spirit now. So you have to get the understanding that the book of Acts is still about Jesus. It's still Jesus working, except he's ascended now. And so this is Jesus working through the Spirit. And Jesus, remember, even told the guys, hey, I'm going to send the Spirit, and that's better than me being on the planet with you guys. And that, that was not popular. You've probably assumed it sometime. Like, man, if Jesus was just here, it would make life so much easier. When we watch The Chosen, there's times where I just thought, I'm like, if it was him right there, I would just jump on board and it would be so much easier to follow if he was just right here. In God's wisdom, he said, it's even better that me, that I would go away he says that he verbalizes that. But the best thing, the wisest thing is that I would go away and the Spirit's going to come. And remember, Old Testament, this wasn't the norm, but the Spirit is going to fill and indwell believers. So you've got an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that had not happened in the Old Testament times. In the Old Testament, you would read things like, and the Spirit of the Lord would come upon a person and they would do something and then the Spirit would leave them. And so it was intermittent. He would come and fill them. They would speak something. They would prophesy. They would do some action. And then the Spirit of the Lord would, would withdraw from that. That doesn't mean that the Spirit of the Lord was like, hey, the New Testament crowd and you know, 2023 are better. I'm just not going to give these Old Testament people. It wasn't that. He was still there. God, was, God is, is completely omnipotent and omniscient. He, he's always going to be around. And so but it, he wasn't indwelling the believer like he talks about in Ezekiel, which was prophesied, that I'm going to come and I'm going to enable them. I'm going to put my spirit within them. And then, then you're going to be enabled, empowered to walk in obedience and cause you to do this. And so that's what Ezekiel prophesied. It's going to be a new day under the new covenant. And so um, he, he shows here, this is the purpose. And so the purpose of that was that there would be the building up of the church. And they, they didn't know exactly what that looked like. But Jesus says that he, he's, going to, he's going to send the Spirit, and through his disciples, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're going to extend that gospel message. We're going to extend the kingdom to all people. And that's going to be through what we begin to see in, mission, in, in Acts as missions and church planting, and then churches established, and then them making disciples and sending other people out. Um, if you notice, even our mission statement, um, the Sojourn mission statement, so to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ— in all things, that we want to magnify and exalt Christ in all things, extending the gospel. And so, so that whole, I, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, equipping the saints. So I purposely stuck that in there because you have this question, what is the church for or what, are, what is Sunday services for? Is it for just the lost? And it, it should be, but if we make all the sermons about just a, a, a little John 3.16 message and at the end, uh, close your eyes pray this prayer with me, it's not equipping the saints. So the, the, the teaching inside the church has to always be proclaiming the gospel. It should always be about the gospel. You never graduate that for believers and for non-believers. But it, it, it always should be about equipping the saints inside the church. So we, we were kind of wordy with that purposely, going, we believe we need to be equipping the saints. And from that, that overflow of 
great commandment, loving God, loving others, and great commission, going and making disciples, that then, then the overflow through evangelism and disciple-making happens, and the church grows in that way. And so that's what you see in the book of Acts there. And so um, then we want to extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. And so that's what he, he brings out there. Um, the date of the book, some, there's some questions on the date. Um, it was probably around 62 AD. Paul, so uh, at the first part of the book in Acts, Luke is chronicling and, and writing down all the stuff that happened mainly through the Jerusalem church. And then also the key figure is Peter in the first seven to eight chapters. Then they jump back to like a 10 and 11. And then Paul, it moves to the main character that, that he's following is Paul. And actually Peter, I mean, I'm sorry, Luke traveled with Luke. Luke traveled with Paul. Man, I'm getting it all mixed up. Um, Jesus is dead, right? And he resurrected. Yeah. So Jesus ascends. Now as um, Luke is going with Paul on his journeys, he's documenting all this stuff. And so um, that, that's the way it's kind of broken down. We'll see an outline in a second. But um, then it gets to this point in, in Acts chapter 28 where Paul is in Rome. And remember, it started in Jerusalem. And this is, if, if it's 62 AD, they've all landed on 62 AD is when Paul's in Rome. Paul is going before um, um, the governor's there, and he's going to go before the leaders, and he's on trial. Now, what happens at that point, we learn a little bit, is Paul gives a defense at that trial. We see a little bit of that in Acts. But then at that point, he is released, and he is able to go free and to um, still go and spread the gospel. Luke would have definitely told the details of that if, if, he, if he didn't uh, write this in 62 AD. So, so there's some details that, are, that happen afterwards, his defense, uh, uh, the eventual lease, and going forward and spreading the gospel. And so 62 AD is, is at the time that everyone kind of lands on. Um, think through the setting. Um, the beauty of this is it begins in Jerusalem, as we're going to see. Um, this very city that just a few days earlier Jesus was crucified in. You didn't want to be a part of Jesus' gang, right? You didn't want to be a part of that, and yet Jesus even tells them, hey, stay here. <laughs> like, I would want to go somewhere else. And he says, stay here. And he promises that the Holy Spirit's coming. And so it starts in Jerusalem. By the end of the book, it, it, they're in Rome, the power seat of the world at that time. And uh, so, so that's a beautiful picture. Now, the whole background is within 40 days of the death of, and, the, and the cross of Christ, and then his resurrection, this small band of disciples, uh, minus Judas, um, and then there's this larger group of disciples and followers, and um, they're in J Jerusalem, and then they have no idea what's about to happen, and they're going to be dispersed. Um, so think through this. Uh, this should bring clarity for us. Again, how do we apply this? What do we learn from Acts? There's some theology about God's sovereignty, about God's power, about salvation, the gospel, the kingdom moving forward. How, what does that look like in our life, our day? What should we expect God to do for us? How, how should we expect, and how, how do we pray? So some clarity, and, and, and should encourage us. Were they powerful? This, this band of 12 or 11? And uh, did they have tons of influence? Were, were they rich and loaded? Um, what was the prevailing culture who had power there? It was the Romans, right? This is a little sect that was literally just called just a, a little, like, like a cultish sect. And there was many of those going around at the time. Was the idea that they were supposed to change the government and use the government powers to enforce the Bible as the rule of the law of the land? Was that what Jesus had left them to? 
go and let, let, let's change the governmental structure. And now us Christians get in control. Was that what he was pushing towards? Was the goal a government takeover through powerful financial and political powers? No, none of that. It's the kingdom. The kingdom is in the middle of the world, and it's, it's narrow, the ones who find it. It's going to be very, very difficult because you're in a world set against the kingdom. They're not going to understand. It's a spiritual heart thing. It's not a powerful financial force that enforces these rules and these laws. No, it's a heart thing. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and, and it's easy, and everyone walks in that way. But narrow is this way. Go through the gate. I am the narrow gate, and you will find life in that. Was the goal to enforce the, the, the kingdom of God's rules on people who were not part of his kingdom? Is that the goal? Like sometimes people start thinking of a theonomy or a theocracy. That was not his goal. The kingdom. The kingdom. Do we have a right to vote? Do we have a right to have our beliefs and our stances? Do we have, is part of Christianity that now we take our biblical beliefs and we force those as law on people who don't even believe God exists? Remember, we're 3.8% of the world's population. Other countries would never even have that entitled idea that, that, that a small pocket of believers, which again, I'm saying two out of 10 in Tulsa are believers. Two out of 10, that's the best it gets. You may be going, oh, I thought it was six out of 10. Like if, you, if you went in California or Seattle or New York or Boston or um, other parts of the Northeast and said, hey, one out of 10 are Christians, they would be like, there's no way. Like I've done this in California, and they're like, there's no way. You're no, it's not one out of 50. And they're just like, no way. I mean, I think it's funny that you believe that book, but that's interesting. But here in the Bible, Bill, if people want to think that there's eight out of 10 are Christian, or look, drive around your neighborhood. See how many are actually going. How many people go to church and aren't actually true believers? And so you've got people, especially in the Bible Belt, who for the last 50 to 60 years, um, this showmanship that had never happened for 1,900 years, this showmanship, uh, and, and it was where these, the altar call started. They had never had that before. And, and now I've got this powerful thing where I can I bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat this after me. And then you guys have seen it. Lots of people that, that will do that. And then they go, and they weren't changed. They go on, they've had experiences, but they weren't changed. And then they live for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. They haven't gone to church in 30 years, but 40 years. But then they're thinking back to Falls Creek when I was 14. And their life looks nothing like following Christ. But how many tens of millions in America believe because of a 30-second prayer that they get to pull that card out and go, oh, I get into heaven. And remember Jesus said, there's going to be so many, so many that are going to say, but Lord, didn't we? Didn't we do this, and we didn't we do this, and didn't we do these powerful works? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, you, you, you workers of iniquity. Think through how daunting the task was. Uh, the overwhelming difference of morals and societal and cultural and ethnic practices in that day. They didn't even know uh, that this was about to move from 90% Jewish in the first few chapters of Acts now it switches over to who? To the Gentiles. And what were the major fights and problems? How can these people who are not living by Moses' law, who are not living by our um, dietary standards, who are, are, who are unclean because of their intermarrying with different people, from them living in areas where there was false um, idols and there were sacrifices of children and sexual immorality used as an approach to God, how can that be 
allowed into our sacred Judaism. And Jesus was changing that. The, the gospel and the kingdom was moving into Gentile area. And so they didn't understand that. And for the next few decades, that was going to be the case. And they did not like that at all. And, and we're going to see in Acts 15, if you're not aware, Acts 15 is the, the crucial point where um, it's, it's the Jerusalem council where they go back to Jerusalem. They go, hey, as we're going out sharing this gospel, it seems like Gentiles are having the Holy Spirit fill them and they're understanding and we're baptizing them. What do we do about that? It seems like God is starting to save more and more Gentiles. Paul comes on in Acts and says, in fact, God has sent me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And, and what I want you to know, if you haven't read Romans, is he's closing the door on a lot of you Jews. If you would listen and hear and repent, but you're not. If you would, if you would have eyes that would see and ears that would hear, but you're not. I'm grafting in the Gentiles, and I'm doing a closing of the eyes and a hardening of the heart on the Jews. And that was angering to them, right? And the book of Acts shows this. Now, I want you to think through that because application for us, what does that look like as the gospel moves forward and you're a churchy group of people, and not just us, but the church in general, all the different churches in Tulsa, you're a churchy group. We, 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 we talk like this. We dress like this. We walk like this. People that look like Brad, they don't, they, they, we don't go to them. We don't talk to them. They got, he's got tattoos on his hands. Like, what, I don't know what he does. What, what's that? What kind of past? I don't want my kids around someone that has that. Like, what if my kids end up having some god-awful long hair, god-awful beards? Now they come back, oh, now, well, now it's cool to have beards, right? And so we have all these little things about the way you're supposed to dress, the way you're supposed to do things, and the way that it's supposed to look. And, and then when the gospel moves forward, if you study not only in the book of Acts and the New Testament, but the church history, as the gospel moved into pockets and thresholds where the gospel had not been to outsiders, guess who had problems with that? Not the outsiders. It was always the churchy ones, the ones that were worried about, well, what? What does that say about all my, my, my things that I do? All the things that, and so there's this, this pride thing that kicks in. So like, man, hey, just the gospel, Jesus is taking over people's lives. Let, let's let that happen. And then we'll deal with it in time. Let's be patient and trust him. And so I want us to think through that. In Acts, Jews to Gentiles hated each other. We would never say we hate the people that are outside the doors unless we're reading on social media. But we usually wouldn't say that we hate the people who are outside of the church doors. But man, when it comes to some of the politics stuff, to some of the social media stuff, to, to, to different ideas and things that are going on, decisions, people, man, a lot of hate flows out. And what happens when the gospel starts getting traction to those people? Many, many times. We have friends, that, that a church like this, a church plant, and they started reaching people that were really into drugs or into um, all kinds of sexual immorality or uh, uh, different races. Oh, what are we going to do if some of those uh, kids that are coming from rough places start getting around my granddaughter? I don't want that boy around my daughter, my granddaughter. Let's shut this off. And so as the gospel moves forward, the churchy people need to trust and be changed continually, and rest in the gospel also. As you go out into darkness, you're going to need the gospel. It's not just before you kick off in the starting line. We, the gospel tells us and compels us to go out to the lost. I'm telling you, we are the ones who probably have more trouble than the lost people when the gospel starts getting traction, and you see that in the book of Acts. So just, just be aware. I really believe God's going to be doing some of those things, so I'm just laying that out there. Um, so some beautiful things there. The key verse, let me go to the key verse here. Um, 
It's Acts 1.8. So let's read this. Acts 1.8. Let me go backwards a little bit. Let's go to 6. Um, actually, let's back up to 5. So he said to them, Hey, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Sounds good, right? Well, that's cool. We don't know what that means. Kind of exciting, but kind of nervous also. Is anyone getting crucified like you? I'd just like to know. I just want to know, is anyone else getting crucified? Because you're telling us to stay in Jerusalem. Hey, somebody ask him, now are you about to restore your kingdom? Because we are shocked. A living guy is standing there who was just crucified. You saw him pulverized and mutilated in front of you for hours and hours and hours. You saw him buried. Now you've seen him for 40 days. You've seen him several times. You still had doubts. The Bible's clear. People still had doubts. And now he's telling you, stay in Jerusalem. Holy Spirit's going to come. This is unreal. This is unbelievable. This is miraculous. He must have the power of God. Let's bring on the powerful military force. Now, it's got to be the time that you're going to restore your kingdom, right? So they go back to, I want my life, even in following Christ, to be comfortable to me. I want things to go easier for me. I want it to go the way that I've always thought it should go. And Jesus rebukes them strongly. And the language in the Greek shows a little bit more. So when they'd come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's not what it's about. It's about the true Israel. It's about those of faith that are part of the lineage of Abraham as his spiritual offspring, not his ethnic offspring. So Jesus rebukes him pretty sternly. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Your life is now going to be about me. If you've understood the way I've talked and taught, if you saw people's lives change by the little bitty bits of the stories that I've told in the teaching, and you saw people transformed, and you saw people healed and brought out of um, all kinds of sinful pockets, and and demons uh, rebuked and cast out of them, and you saw people raised from the dead, and you saw me crucified on the cross, and you understand that's our atonement. That's what all those rituals were that we've been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years. All that is him, and he paid that price for us. Atonement, forgiveness, the wrath of God whipped out on him. He rises from the dead. Your life should be about me. Clearly, your life would be about me. That's what it's about. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem right here. Well, we don't want to because it's really, really hard here. It's scary here. Ask Stephen. So a few chapters later, we know Stephen, just one of the side guys. Okay, let's vote. Let's bring Stephen on as a a, a deacon. Help serve. Stephen, my life is about him, and you guys got it wrong. You crucified the Lord. It's you that crucified. Everybody pick up stones, right? That's what happened, because why? Because Stephen doesn't get the kingdom fully yet. Kingdom gets a piece of it and gets rocks in his face. Why? Because my life is now going to be about Jesus. It's going to be in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria. We hate the Samarians. They're they're half-breeds. They're, they're detestable. They're worse than dogs to us. You're going to be witnesses to those people you hate. You're going to be witnesses to people who have completely no standards in your eyes. They don't go by Moses' law. They, they select different things. There, there's people that are going by all kinds of different false beliefs and false religions. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, to the, the, the regions around, and then to the ends of the earth. 
And we know in, in Acts 28, they're already to Rome, which was the, God's desire to get the gospel out to all places. So beautiful picture there. God's redemptive plan being announced, God revealing with Jesus and his cross at the center. And then he shows that now from this place in Jerusalem, that's going to be your message. You're going to continue to repeat this message. Um, one of the beauties that the book of Acts screams is that what is impossible with man is possible with God. So think through how easy we have it. I know everyone feels, uh, we, we spent January the first and second, third weekend talking about uh, media presence and social media, and it feels like that these, uh, we hear these voices and it seems like it's just this huge, daunting uh, majority of people that are just now taking shots at Christianity. And so think through Jerusalem, this little group of 11, and they add Matthias, and then they start, and they have a handful of other believers around, and there's no churches, there's no church outposts, they don't get to drive 11 or 12 or 15 miles over and, and know that there's, oh, there's, that's a safer town. There's nothing called the church at this time. And they're trusting and by faith, just going to be faithful gospel witnesses, a faithful gospel presence. Think through the difficulty that they're, faces, that they're facing there. Um, and all of that shows that what's impossible with man is completely possible with God and his power. Um, the goal that we're bringing about is, is worship. So why would God do this? And, and why would we join in this and say, God, we want to experience this? Um, John Piper says it this way. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And that one statement is, I think is the second or third book I read, is Let the Nations Be Glad. And when I surrender my life to Christ at 26 or 27, or 26, uh, 25 or 26, um, I, let the nations be glad. And I remember that statement. Missions, church planting, evangelism is going on right now because there's people out there that aren't worshiping Jesus. There will come a time when evangelism stops. We stop telling people about Jesus because everyone is, is gathered in the kingdom and there will be worship. You won't be doing evangelism in heaven. You won't be doing missions or church planting in heaven. So Piper says missions exist because worship is not going on for some. Worship is ultimate. It's not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And even in our evangelists, I remember this, this was a flip for me, because I was sold out and immediately just started sharing my faith with everyone. And I was a UPS supervisor, and man, I, I was like, oh my God. I, remember, I mean, day one, I surrendered my life on a, like a Friday or Saturday night, and like Monday, and Sunday night it hit like, oh my gosh. I can't stand several of those people. I mean, we would have arguments because it was like, you know, um, the, the union guys against management. And so they were, they did not like us, some of the guys. And they, there was guys that, and we'd have these huge arguments. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to be nice and like even just smile. And he's going to mouth me and I'm going to have to like take it. And I used to get fire back stuff and do all this. And, and now I'm just going to have to be just like, forgive him, forgive him, forgive. And, and I, it just shocked me. And so this whole idea that as, as we're going out and, and sharing the gospel with people, there's going to come a time when, when that, that, that's ended because worship has taken place. Um, when, the, when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And I remember this flip because I was real evangelistically motivated, 
And I remember thinking through, like when I would share the gospel with people, because you, I don't want you to spend eternity in hell. Some of my friends that were just in this group of kind of wild guys, and I would just tell them, I, I just can't imagine you uh, spending your eternity in hell. And that's true. And we should be worried about that. But I remember reading something and going to a conference where they said, that's a man-centered view. You're doing that because of the good of man, which is good, but there's something that's completely, infinitely greater. Man is finite. What if your motivation is God and his high, exalted glory? What if your gaze is fixed on his high and exalted glory? Yes, I don't want you to go to hell, but most of all, I want you to experience him. I want you to get him. I want you to see the glory of him. So, so salvation is not just bow your head, close your eyes, so you don't have to go to hell one day. It's no, I want you to have the incredible blessing of Jesus. I want you to find your joy and your hope in Jesus. Even though he's invisible right now, I want that high and exalted view to be what you live for. So a completely radical thinking there that Piper brings out. So again, that's why we think of this as, I don't want this to be just a sermon time with a lesson but what is God doing around your life? So the motivation for Acts is learning, changing, adjusting, obeying that leads to worship. So Revelation 7, 9, um, a great multitude that no one could number. So John, great friend of Jesus, gets to see into the future, this, this scene in heaven, a great multitude that no one could even count. From all the history of time, from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So the scene of heaven, that, and I pray that there's kids in here, that that is enough for God to call them into missions, to call them into full-time um, ministry lives, where they would leave behind some other jobs and some other paychecks, some other security, and they would say, because of his glory, that picture of this lamb in the middle, all tribes, all nations, all languages, worshiping before the lamb, and, and that they would come and surrender their lives for that. That's enough. So, and they, they're crying out, the, these created beings are saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So all these angels are standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So I hope there's some in here that that's your call. That's enough. I know many, many missionaries that God used that and said, that's enough. I hope if there's kids that have already felt that, that that's a conference. That's enough to give my life to. I'm reading stuff about the newer generations and stuff, and so they're kind of frustrated with the way things are. I, mean, I hope that they're looking for meaning, they're looking for purpose, they're looking for community, and, and, and I hope that that's enough to go, hey, I'll give my life to that. His, his bow-down worship is enough for my life. Revelation 5, 9, the same picture. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you purchased, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So, so worship is the motivation there. I hope that you see that. Um, if you're reading that, anyone got any Cherokee, any Choctaw blood? We're in Oklahoma, a lot of that. So, hey... Those tribes, they weren't around Jerusalem at the time. 
So this is us. We're part of the fulfillment. Anyone that, you know, we got people from other places. You weren't in Jerusalem. Your people weren't in Jerusalem. Gospel's going to spread. The Spirit's going to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's us. We're part of the all tribes. And so there's still tribal people, over half a, half a billion, over 500 million tribals that still live in remote areas. And, and a great majority of them still haven't heard the gospel. So Acts, it's not just a lesson. It's let, let's go. Let, let's partner with people. This week, I just got a message from Krebs. You know, Krebs is one of our college guys, uh, uh, Mike and Jessica. And so he just sent me a message uh, Thursday. He said, hey, man, pray for me. I'm preaching tonight at their Thursday night church. I know it's, it's ungodly. It's a Thursday night. That's not the Sabbath. But anyway, and, and they're in Jordan. And so they're in Jordan. They're there. And, and so this lady shows up. And she's not, and so in Jordan, it's all Muslims, 99.9% Jordan, and he's preaching. And so afterwards, she comes up, he sees she's back there, she's making like weird motions and doing stuff. And so she comes up and she's like, she's kind of got some tears around. She says, there's been a demon that's been bothering me. I haven't slept for several days, and I knew I was supposed to come here, and I want to follow God, but like this the demon has completely taken over me. So, so what do you do there? What, what power do you have? And so he just began to ask some questions. And so he explained, do you understand the gospel? Do you understand these things? Remember, Muslim, completely Muslim area. No, no telling what, when she walks out of the door, what's she going back to? Her job, her family, her household? She converts to Christianity. And so he says, I, 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 I want to pray in the powerful name of Jesus and cast this demon out. And so then he, she says, he, he makes her recite some stuff that uh, I believe Jesus is Lord. Sometimes if you're dealing with demonic stuff, they, they can't. They can't say those things. Like it doesn't allow them to say, and they have to kind of burst forth. And he said, you're, you're going to have to say this. And Jesus is Lord. And so she's able to do it. Some weeping and stuff and some shaking. And then, no, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And so he does, and she's able to do it. And so then weeping, and so the whole place is kind of rejoicing. And so sometimes in America, we're so distracted, we forget that there is a spiritual oppression that's going on. We, we don't have to deal with that because we're, I'm worried about, you know, my, my, the, the, the new set of four tires that, that I got to buy this week. That's what's on our mind as we're sitting in church. And we're not thinking about there's a spiritual force working to keep people in the gates of hell. And Jesus in Matthew 16, 18, remember, said, the gates of hell cannot prevail against my church. And that doesn't mean that the gates are attacking. So those gates right here at the, at the entrance here, they've never come to your house. Those gates have never come and attacked you. Uh, it means that there are people hidden behind those gates. And Jesus says, my church will prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church going and ripping people, rescuing people, redeeming people out of the gates of hell. They're in bondage, and, and the church is on an onward moving force, an offensive to rip people out of that. And so that's what's going on in that picture. And so people from every tribe and tongue and, and nation and language. And we're going to be shocked in heaven um, by, by some of the things that the tribal people spinning around there. No telling what. I just hope they don't have you know like um, you know sharp stuff. And because because when, if you've seen some tribal people worshiping, it's not like our American Christianity a lot of times. And so um, just some beautiful things that God's going to do that we can be a part of. Um, worship has to be our goal as we go through the Book of Acts. I hope worship is part of your main goal. Um, an outline that people will follow. I've got a slide there. People will either track with Peter for the first part, and then Paul, you can kind of follow an outline there. You'll see they become uh, the central person there and there, not, not the central person overtaking Jesus. But 
the one that Luke is um, writing about. And also the Jerusalem church is central at the first part. And then the Antioch church becomes the launching pad for missions. Um, Think through that right there, just the dynamics. There's books written, thick books written on the very difference between Jerusalem church, more inward thinking, Jewish, right? Matthew's gospel to Jews, the Antioch church, Luke's gospel to the Gentiles. Um, The Antioch church was the sending place, the launching pad for missions. And so just differences there. Um, as we go through this, um, I, I want us to really think through um, this um, idea. So uh, years ago, a guy named Richard Blackaby um, had, had uh, come out with um, Experiencing God. And so um, some things there um, that were brought out is he has these ideas. Uh, and this is not a, a program. This is not an equation. It's not a strategy. It's just seeing how God has worked in times past in, in the Old Testament, how God has worked through the centuries with his people and even through the New Testament. And so um, we have to understand that when we get to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, it's kind of an abrupt ending. And then we don't know, um, there's no kind of like nice bow-tied conclusion. And so the reason for that is because Acts is still ongoing. We're, We're like Acts 17 said, God determined the times and places that you would live. So that applies to us. And so in that, Acts is ongoing. So I want us to be thinking through, are are we seeing God? And I don't mean the crazy stuff that Tulsa's famous for, but are are we experiencing and joining God's work? Now, what that leads to is, first of all, um, this idea that that there's expectation. And so I, I would just throw out for you this week to consider, what's your expectation for God to work around you? We have to remember God is always working around us consistently. And sometimes it's the coworker or the family person, and, and you look at and you just think, well, I just don't want to, I don't want to impose, I don't want to share that. You don't know what God's doing. So just be faithful. You don't know what God's doing in their life. That, that could, he could use that. Um, he always leads to a love relationship. He pursues and provides. He purchased your life in a love relationship. Um, and then he brings us into God's redemptive purposes. It's not just about you and what your life is supposed to be about. It's about you joining God's bigger redemptive purposes. He invites us in as his disciples to expand the kingdom with the gospel. God's invitation is usually him using or allowing direction or opportunity for us to join him as his kingdom advances. But he's using his word. He's using the spirit. He's using the church body, the people around you. He's using circumstances around our lives. Mysteriously, and here's what's crazy about this. Um, He even uses um, bad circumstances that we think that he would only use it when our day's going great and when life's going well. And so you have some illness, you go into the hospital, and you're like, this was not part of this week's plan. And then God uses it powerfully. God uses some circumstances. Um, He even has the sovereignty to use our sin that doesn't give us the right. So Romans 6, you're not supposed to go, oh, so, so, so we can just go and sin and do whatever and God's going to use it? No, that's not it at all. You're supposed to be pursuing obedience and, and striving for holiness. But he can even use our sin and our, 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 our process of de- departing to come back to him, and he can use that powerfully um, in mysterious ways. And that creates this crisis, this dependence. So when you're walking in that, um, God may lead you sometimes, not, not all the time, to a crisis of belief or a time, what I would call, of complete surrender or maybe repeated surrender. He, he may bring something, you feel like, man, I feel like, God, that I have, I've not really cared about the lost. So you start praying for the lost and then that person you start praying for and then the next day they like email you or you have this big blow up in the relationship and you're like, oh, see, that's why. It's just, it's for, for no way, that's gonna work out. 
No, there's a crisis of belief where God wants you to go, okay, it's not just me having a nice, comfortable one-minute conversation. I prayed for them. Hey, would you consider getting saved? Like, that's probably not going to happen, right? God uses a crisis of belief that causes you to go to him more in faith and obedience and trust to where he is exalted, not our strategy. And so we don't like that. We don't like laboring in spiritual things. We don't like laboring in prayer. We don't like laboring in those things. We like it to be nice and neat. And then as soon as some problem arises, we go, I guess that's not God's direction. Well, not necessarily. Look through the Bible. That's the story that he wants us to see overcoming through him and not ourselves. Um, And then we have this case where we have to adjust our heart and our life. And then through that, we experience God. And through experiencing God, we come to know him more and we come to worship him more. So those are some of the things I hope that we get out of the the book of Acts. Um, Often I would say this, we don't expect and we don't believe. Sometimes it's because we're not abiding. So John 15, we're not abiding. So I don't really expect that God would be able to save that person. So, And the proof is if I just said, hey, think of three people. You just go, oh man, yeah, this, this coworker, this family member, there is no way. There is, I mean, this person, you don't understand how bad they were, how, how bad and how angry they are at God, how separate. Like, that shows that we really don't understand the, the sovereign power of God. When Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm working around you. I have authority that you don't understand. I'm in control of circumstances that can use to weaken them and bring them to their knees to where they're waiting for someone. So I would just ask you, if it's not you, who is it? We used to talk with college students, and, and they, some would say, well, I just don't know, you know if, if I'm supposed to go on this trip and if there's someone who's really focused on God and pursuing God and all this stuff. And I would just say, so, so let me ask you this. I drove from Oklahoma in a 16-week trip uh, where we, we speak at different college campuses. There's a 1,000 kids in the thing last night, in the audience last night. Uh, we've spoken to however many thousand over the last few days. I'm sitting with you one-on-one. You're telling me you have a heart for this not normal. Um, I'm laying out for you 160 mission trips. Tell me what else God might possibly do to show you you might could at least take a baby step into this. Like I don't know what else other than Jesus showing you, showing up, grabbing you by the arm and dragging you to an airport. And so in the same way, not mission trips, but just like us being obedient and faithful to the people around us. So who's that person around your life that you feel like there's no way God would save them? Well, who's God going to use? Just, and this is where we have to trust in the power of the gospel. It's the power that, that, that the Holy Spirit uses. Um, not only for outsiders, but I want us to think through this also. For insiders, if you've got this rut of sin that you kind of always go back to and you do a few days or a few weeks or, or even a few months, and then this rut of sin that you fall back into, it's defeating. You'll never want to be used by God. You'll never feel like being faithful because you feel like such a failure and you're going to feel like, oh, why would God even use me? Why would I? Because, because I, my life is so full. And we don't believe that there can be transformation and change. And so we don't abide. So we don't pray. So we don't expect. So for insiders, the gospel is what we want to see also. Um, the beauty of that is as we go through, I'm going to try to bring out these themes, um, and I'll mention these a little bit next week also, but um, as we go through it, um, the Acts of the Apostles, or the book of Acts, the name itself implies action. So, um, 
And then I think the slide may have messed up a little bit. That's supposed to be, obviously, uh, movement supposed to be over there. So it's really, uh, it's really jacked up on that slide. So the, the person, it's, it's just the focus of Jesus. Um, it's going to be about Jesus. The book is about Jesus. They pray in his name. Everything is about his glory. They're, they're going forward in the name of Jesus. Um, and then um, the message, it's, it's the same. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Um, the mission, it, it's making disciples that we should be making disciples. And including that is evangelism. You're sharing your faith and you're discipling people, not just, just trying to get a convert, but making disciples. And then the movement, it's the kingdom of God to the world. And so as we see that, I hope that we can um, uh, look through this and, and, and truly trust God to really take just a small, weak, insignificant group of people in an area where it seems like there's lots of churches in Tulsa, but again, I would share with you that the number of people that have nothing to do with God or have been detached or de-churched or unchurched, they're all over the place. And so for us to think through that, um, that we want to be um, that time people. And here, here's what's powerful. Acts chapter 28, it's still ongoing because it's still the same God, still the same Jesus, the same Spirit, so nothing's changed. Does he still have a desire? Is he still jealous for souls, for worship? It's the same gospel. It's the same mission. It's the same radical disciple-making. It's the same kingdom and the same movement going forward. And so sometimes we just are the ones who don't believe and don't have expectation and don't join in on that. So this question is what I threw out to when I taught through this the first time um, with some college students. Every week just asking, was Jesus and his cross only meant to be a token for your security? So we come, sit, listen, are comfortable. Or is Jesus and his cross a radically dangerous and captivating person who confronts and kills and controls your plans for life? Is Jesus and his cross a radically dangerous, captivating God-man who confronts and kills and controls your plans for life? And so I think that we get to different stages of life that we could just kind of check out and go like, well, we, we, we've done that, or I've tried that. And again, faith, obedience, trusting, resting. Um, again, my contextual concern is as the gospel moves forward from a, a churchy center to the lost, it often crosses these taboo lines. And it's usually the insiders who have the most trouble and the most problems with that. So we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be aware of that. It causes problems when people are not fitting into our um, churchy ideas, our churchy um, structures. And so thinking through, maybe we need to change some in that. And the gospel's there for that also. Um, we'll see in Acts, the early Christians moving forward with the gospel. They had the facts about Jesus. They believed the facts. They were now saved, and they wanted to see change occur. But they were the ones who were unwilling to change. We can't scream at people outside these doors right now and just get them to change immediately. But we can talk in here and have the Holy Spirit change us to where as they come in and they come to faith, then we're able to be able to meet them where they're at. Not lowering your holiness, not lowering your sin, not making accommodations for sin, but, but being able to meet them where they're at with the gospel. And so sometimes we've got to be the ones changing. So as we move forward, I hope that those things will be something that will be um, 
whetting your appetite for as we go through um, the book of Acts. Next week, we'll dive into uh, chapter 1 there, uh, 1 through 11. And so let me pray as we uh, uh, close today, as Brad comes back up. And um, just pray that uh, God would be moving in our hearts, that be moving uh, us to have greater expectation. Maybe that's it for you. Maybe that's just the idea of not just being good at studying Scripture, not just knowing Scripture, but truly seeing God work. Maybe, maybe for a number of months or years, you really haven't expected God to do much around your life. And I believe He wants to, not just for our own personal um, feelings or, or just, just, for, just for meaning's sake, that's a ripple effect, but for His glory. And because he wants to redeem lives around us. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for um, your guidepost of Acts, your, your book that reveals how you work, your book that reveals the Spirit redeeming, rescuing people. It points us to the beauty of Jesus and his cross, that where Christ took the wrath of God in our place to redeem us, those who would never have chosen him, never been able to work ourselves towards him. We thank you that um, the book of Acts shows us that. We thank you that you have given us the self-revelation of yourself that, that, that really is a beautiful picture that we could apply in our own times. So help us to have greater faith. Help us to have um, expectation for you, to want to experience you to a deeper degree. Whatever stage we're at, whatever place in life we're at, that we want to go deeper in, in relationships, disciple-making, sharing the gospel just in life-on-life -life interaction. We pray that you'd allow us to see you redeem many, many, many people in this city that you're jealous for, that you're worthy of worship. In your name we pray. Amen.